They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. From our new world headquarters in Kensington, Connecticut, this is the Two Bald Pastors. Dun dun dun! Dun dun dun! <laughs> a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. And we are two follically challenged pastors serving in congregations in the New England Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to say, the ELCA. It is season three. Woohoo! We are in person recording, which doesn't happen too often, but now that we have a brand new world headquarters, we are checking it out. <laughs> That's right. That's right. For those of you who might not know, I uh, have taken a new call recently, and I am now at the pastor redeveloper of Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Kensington, Connecticut. And in my office here in Kensington, I'm setting up a little corner podcast studio. So it's going to be uh, a neat thing, and and now Jeff and I were only forty two minutes apart. <laughs> forty two minutes apart. So we'll have much much more uh, opportunity for uh, in person podcasts, maybe some video work and that sort of thing. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great, and we're uh, because of transitions and just kind of other stuff going in our lives. We've been kind of like in between a lot of things. So we are officially starting season three of the Two Bald Pastors podcast. Today. All right. Yeah, and Jeff, you've been uh, traveling recently, so give our folks an update on what you've been doing. Oh, I've been just about everywhere on God's green earth. <laughs> June, I was only home for, a, it seemed like a week. I know it was more than that, but it felt like that. So I was to Minnesota and back again twice, one to help out at Luther Crest Bible Camp for their staff training, and then I was back in Connecticut. And then I went back to uh, Minnesota to run slash walk the Grandma's Marathon in Duluth, Minnesota, and uh, spent a little time with my friend J. Jeff and his family. Did that, came back, got back to Connecticut for a few days, geared up to get down to Houston for the ELCA Youth Gathering, which was an amazing time. We had uh, a group of 12 go, and uh, we got back, and uh, hey, it's July. So here we are. It's the middle of July. <laughs> and now it's the middle of July. Yeah, the last couple of weeks have gone by super fast just being back, and uh, all of a sudden it feels like, huh, it's going to be fall before too long. Right. But not before a long, epic adventure through John chapter 6. <laughs> yeah, so we are uh, starting, a, I guess you could say, a little mini-series connected to the Revised Common Lectionary of John chapter 6, because starting... July 29th, we'll be reading through the entire chapter until the end of August. So what we want to do to start off Season 3 here of the Two Bald Pastors podcast is to not really help preachers, but maybe some preachers might be able to draw some inspiration from the podcasts, but really just kind of give you a little preview of what's going to come up when you go to church on Sunday and have you think a little bit about this text before you get there and maybe look at it from a different perspective of what your preacher may be talking about. So, Yeah, so John chapter 6, it starts with the feeding of the 5,000 from John's perspective, that story, that miracle's found in all four Gospels. And then there's a long, long reflection on what that means, and uh, it's the bread of life. So Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, and... uh, it seems to go on and on and on and on about it. 
And, uh, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you are a preacher, you're thinking about, well, what can you do with bread this week? Maybe rye, maybe pumpernickel, <laughs> maybe gluten-free, who knows? But, uh, that's really not it. It's, it's about Jesus revealing who he is to God's people. And, uh, we thought it would be kind of fun to just take a look at it ahead of time, maybe invite you into that as well. Yeah. For those who are not preachers listening to this, you know, as someone who preaches on a weekly basis in a congregation, you kind of look at the text and you pull some significance out of it. And when you have a bread image or bread mentioned, you, you really are drawn to talk about the Eucharist, communion, the holy meal. And when you have, what, five, six weeks in a row with this bread imagery, it can get a little daunting because you're just like, okay, what am I going to talk about bread now? And how how can I change it up a little bit? And and uh, you want to keep that consistency since you are reading through the entire chapter 6 of John, but yeah, it can be a little tough. So we have the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, so we have the story of the feeding of the 5,000, and why don't we just read it, and then we'll talk about it. Sure. Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not be enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about five thousand in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told the disciples, Gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up. And from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. A couple of things that really just jump out at me is John, comparative to the other gospel writers, portrays Jesus as someone who already knows what's going to happen, Uh, someone who has that connection with God and not really worried about how all these people are going to be fed. And I don't, you know, I don't mean to say that the other Gospels, Jesus is freaking out about it, but it seems as though <laughs> that, uh, you know, he has a good idea of what's going to happen and how, how it's going to play out. Yeah, John is um, the Gospel of signs, so you have this constant revealing of who Jesus is and a, a kind of an uncovering or an unveiling of who he is for the people. So here you have, yeah, the one who who feeds them. I th- it's interesting if you come back, if you can connect it in the lectionary back to the week prior, even though that's from Mark's gospel, he looks at the people and says, you know, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And uh, here you've got the shepherd feeding the sheep. Right. Uh, taking care of it. You've got kind of that, that grassy uh, field image there. I don't know, it seems like a, a nice area, not so much the wilderness as it's portrayed in Mark anyway. The big question with this always, I think people want to ponder, is um, what's the true miracle? Is it Jesus multiplying the fish and loaves, or is it the people sharing what they already have? 
kind of a stone soup kind of right image of right. they start to share a little bit and then everybody realizes they have enough to share. I don't know how you feel about that. I kind of think both of those are are good. Yeah, I don't think it really matters terribly much which which way you think about it. But yeah, I I always thought about it as Jesus really caring for the people. The generosity that he showed enabled other people to be generous. Yeah, there's definitely an abundance uh, factor here, and especially when you live in the world and everybody talks about how there's not enough of anything, or we have to be protective because of this reason or another, or you know, keep those folks away from our stuff um, message you hear. It's really the opposite of that. It's, it's, there's plenty, and not even plenty, there's more than you need. Right. Yeah, there's certain significance to some of the other little things going on here, like the, the 12 baskets, you got one for each disciple, and you know it's also like the 12 tribes kind of idea yep. is there. You also have the, it mentions that it's happening during the Passover, so you've got kind of a chief primary festival that people knew about and connected to that was about going through the wilderness and, and being rescued out of slavery and coming to the promised land. And here you've got kind of a literal milk and honey image, you know, because yep. you've got this abundance in this grassy place. Bringing it back to our lives, when you read through this and you think about your ministry or even think about personal events of abundance, do you have anything that comes to mind when you when you read about this and something that you've experienced in your own life that has connected you to this text? Well, I think in general, whenever you hear the miracle stories, partly your reaction is, well, isn't that nice, but, you know, you have this kind of, but I, I'm not with Jesus like that. Right. And so I haven't experienced that. But I think if you look for it or uncover it in the same way that, say, John, this writer is uncovering who Jesus is. Uh, you can start to see it. I mean, I know you and I have both been involved in a lot of feeding ministries through the churches we've served or just in other places. We could talk about that a little bit. But I think anytime there's abundant generosity you may not have expected, that kind of comes as a little bit of a surprise. You can you can point to stories like this. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't just have to be about food. It can be about anything. Yeah, my uh, first call was in New York, and... There was a woman who was loosely connected to the church. She lived in a nursing care facility about 45 minutes away, but had some connection to the church. And one day uh, in the mail, she sent us a $10,000 check. And this was totally unexpected. You know, I'd go up and visit her every once in a while, and and uh, she was very nice. And we sent her a newsletter each month, and and I got this check, and I wanted to make sure that... It, <laughs> She knew what she right. was doing, you know, and, and so I went up and I visited with her, had the, had the check with me, and I showed it to her, and I said, you know, I just received this in the mail, and I just want to thank you, but I want to make sure, is this what you wanted to, to do? And she said, yes. She said, you know, I've been blessed in my life, and I want to be able to share that with others, and I think the ministry that you guys are doing at the church is phenomenal, and I want to help support it, so use it any way that you see fit. And I said, well... A pastor does need a bonus every now and then. <laughs> no, it's uh, a staff hot tub doesn't just come out of nowhere. People. <laughs> That's right. We, uh, you know, brought it back and and had a plan for it um, connected to youth because she was really um, 
connected with with the youth ministry. But it was it was just an abundance. It's something that we weren't expecting, and it was uh, a sign of generosity. And when you think, you know, that you don't have enough, and then suddenly you you become blessed like that, and it's really uh, an awesome thing when when you experience that. Yeah, I got two stories. One is kind of connected to food stuff, but one definitely isn't. So I'll tell that one first. So um, we have a few elderly folks at the church I serve, and one person, she was getting her brakes fixed or something like that, and this person was going to like really overcharge her. So, you know, try to take advantage of this elderly person. And so she caught it and was trying to um, correct it in a way that, you know, was correct. You yeah, know? yeah. And so she, she came in one day and was telling me about this whole thing. This, this was a, like, 45-minute you know, long story of back and forth with this person to finally negotiate it back to what the price was supposed to be. And then when it was all done... She said, so that's why I'm here with this check, because this is the extra money that she that they wanted to overcharge me for the breaks. So I just thought, the church needs it more than me, so here you go. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. So that was kind of sweet. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of sweet. Another thing, so when I was in Avon, um, they had some extra land that someone had donated when they had built the church that they hadn't used, and so they had sold that land uh, for development and put it into a fund. To make a long story short, that ended up becoming an endowment fund. And over the course of its, well, geez, now, all probably 30 years old, I mean, they've given at least three times of its value, its original value away. Wow. Which is kind of cool. That is cool. Including one of the first things they did when they formed the fund is they bought a truck for the food share, uh, which is like a, a pretty big gift. So yeah. it's like, yeah. okay, it's, it's just cool. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, well, we're going to run out. It was, hey, we've got this this blessing we can pass along and do something good with for the community. And then they did that and it's, it's given away more than it was worth. That's awesome. By a lot yeah. Uh, yeah. over the years, including those lean years when the market crashed and everything and everybody yeah. got worried about it. They said, no, we still need to be giving money away because that's what it's for. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, there's lots of things like that. And we both have uh, strong connections to ELCA world hunger and, uh, when I looked at a lot of the domestic grants for our synod, I mean, the ministry that we are doing in our communities is just phenomenal when it comes to food. And many of our churches have uh, like a monthly community meal. Yep. And, you know, as someone who's started those in, in a congregation and, and who has participated in many of those, you never know how many people are going to show up. You kind of guess, and but people are fed, and people are happy, and sometimes things don't turn out the way that you hope or expect, but you know somehow people leave satisfied and appreciative of that ministry, and it's not always, not always about the food. Uh, sometimes right. it's about the social aspect, getting out and connecting with others, and the more that we can provide opportunity for that, for, for people, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I've done a number of mission trips with kids, and often we have soup kitchens or, or meal programs as part of that experience. And um, one in particular always stands out to me because we were in Toronto a couple of years ago. And uh, what they had done with this place is the the director of it, who was a Franciscan friar, he decided rather than just make it kind of your regular old soup kitchen, he's, 
they wanted to make it nice. So they he raised a bunch of money and made it look like a restaurant, feel like oh, a wow. restaurant. Yeah. You served the food like a restaurant and yeah. people came in and and enjoyed it like a restaurant. Yeah. And it was yeah. his whole thing was it's about the dignity of the people and that's why you want to do that. You're not just providing a service, you want to lift up their humanity. Yeah. Which was great. And then it was getting near the end of the week and our kids were, you know, cleaning up and and doing stuff and we were just talking on the side and he said, "You know, I love when we have church groups helping here. And there's a lot of there's a lot of people that help at these soup kitchens. A lot of businesses help out, school groups help out, people that have like mandatory hours they need to get done for, because they were in some kind of trouble. They come and do it and it's always a good thing and it's always really wonderful, but you can tell when you have church people doing it because they do it out of love and mm. they do it out of of joy and they do it because they want to and it's the connections that they then make with the people who come um i mean there's your 12 baskets left over i mean yeah. that's the intangible stuff that you just can't count on you know sometimes it really is about we've got five thousand people how are we going to feed them and get them all through i've been to those soup kitchens too those huge operations where they really just need to shuttle people through but this was the the opposite it was this nice little intimate gathering they could only have four, 40 people in there at a time and they were encouraged to stay you know throughout the afternoon you know they weren't i mean they had an evening meal too but it was kind of laid back and people you know stuck around and talked and yeah the wonderful. kids were always encouraged i always think this is really important too they were encouraged to eat with the people and you know Find out their story, listen to them, ask them questions, you know, get to know yeah. them as other human beings. Um, that's why I think the, the miracle side of this story really is twofold. I mean, it is the abundance that comes out of nowhere that, I mean, and in a lot of ways, only Jesus can do that. Yeah. But our response to it is that other piece, which is that that beautiful sharing of the stuff you didn't even realize you had or we're hanging on to or maybe even hoarding in a way that that all of a sudden becomes a, a beautiful connection between people. Yeah, I uh, am always surprised uh, about our connection with communion and how so many of our churches throughout the, the country, throughout the world, celebrate this every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And when I think about what makes us as the Lutheran Church different from many other churches in our communities— is the fact that we have communion on a weekly basis. Well, most of our churches do. But what would you say, probably 90, 95 It's not the German dirges we sing? <laughs> no. <laughs> we say 90, 95% of our churches probably have weekly communion? I don't know. I think that's regional. I, I mean, I, in New England, absolutely. Yeah. In other places in the Midwest, I, would, I wouldn't say that this, oh, that's okay. necessarily true. But, but we certainly do hold word and sacrament together as two very important aspects of our our shared life in worship together, for sure. When I am sitting in church on Sunday, realizing that so many other people are experiencing the same thing, and the fact that our churches are open and welcoming to, to people. Right. And in, in my short time in Kensington, I've been here you know, a couple of weeks, and I've already heard two stories of people being denied communion, being denied uh, the rite of baptism because of differences in the way that uh, some churches handle the you know people right. events of people's lives and and because you have done X you no longer are able to do X um, and that just breaks my heart and especially when we talk about these things as a means of 
grace, that this right. is how God meets us in our brokenness. Yeah. 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 For me, I always think the the name the names of the Eucharist or the meal I, I, they matter, but they also are interesting. So, like you know, you just brought up Holy Communion. Like I think the of the community aspect of that word, you know, that yep. communion and community go together. So it's it, it is it is about your connection to God and how Christ comes to you in in body and blood. But it, it's also about how we come together as as the church, wherever it is we are, and whenever it is we are. I mean, that's kind of one of the interesting things that we lift up to in in our theology is, you know, the when the bread is broken and the wine is poured, it's the whole church everywhere at the same time yep. sharing in the abundance of Christ. Yep. And that's, I don't know, at, at least it's it's abundant. Yep. Yep. It is, and, and I think that's the the big takeaway for this week's reading is, is just the abundance and how how we are fed and how important that is in, in our life. And it's a great kickoff story for the bread series. Any other thoughts about this text? It's easy to just make it feel trite, you know, just like, oh, isn't that a nice story? I mean, that's how some of these, especially because this is one that just about anybody knows, or at least the church people know. Yeah. And... Um, I think to encourage people to just experience it in a fresh way and and to see what God might be calling you to in the midst of that is is worth considering and um I think that's one of the reasons we're we're talking about it today. So these next few podcasts are going to be a little shorter than what we uh typically produce for you and that's just because we want to give you an introduction to these texts and yeah, so thank you for joining us today. Uh, again, the reading is uh, from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, 1 through 21. We actually ended at verse 14. 14. Verse 15 to 21 is when the disciples are in the boat and Jesus walks on water. You know, I, I probably am going to cut it off at, at verse 14, just because when you have two familiar stories like that on a Sunday, you don't really have time to talk about both, so... I think I want to keep the focus on uh, the bread stories and the feeding of the 5,000 for this week. So just one last closing thought to consider. What if he wasn't um, walking across the water, but he was like behind the boat, and they were moving fast enough because it was windy, and he was actually water skiing? It is <laughs> summer awesome. after all, right? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus water skiing down on the lake. Probably not. Probably, Probably not. not. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, yeah, I mean, anything is possible, right? <laughs> So thank you for joining us for this Season 3 kickoff podcast, and uh, we thank you, and join us next week when we will be talking about uh, John chapter 6, verses 24 through 35, and you can see uh, where we will be going with these texts. So once again, we are the Two Bald Pastors. I'm Joe McGarry. And I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. Thank you. Be blessed. Have a great day. Bye now. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors.